and welcome to the Doctor Who Show's hot take review of Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And we join you once again to discuss the latest episode of Doctor Who I literally stopped watching seven minutes ago. Rob, what about you? I watched it around lunchtime today, Dave. So what is it now? It's uh, almost 6.30 at night, uh, so about uh, five and a half hours ago. Yep, so as always, we've seen very few opinions. We've had little time to think about this. This is just what we think. So, Rob, what did you think? Dave, I think this was very safe Doctor Who, uh, especially in comparison to last week. And does it suffer for that? Maybe we'll tease that out during this episode. Sure. So I enjoyed the episode for the most part. It, it had its faults. Uh, I agree with you. It was very, you use the word safe. I might use the word old school or traditional in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rob, whilst watching this, I started off making a few notes about little sort of micro things and things about the episode. But as it went on, I've sort of rewritten my approach to talk more about how this is consolidating certain views for me. So I've got three and a half, four points. Can I, can I work through them at the top of the episode? Uh, you can. I'm wondering if one of them relates to something I've been noticing too in the series. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it I'll could say be. snap if you do. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see if you do and we can, we can go from there. So uh, my first thing that I've really noticed over four episodes now is something I alluded to back at episode two, I think, mm. where... I've noticed that the Doctor is getting a lot more to do, is playing a much more active role in the plot, but mm-hmm. because the Doctor's taking a bigger share of the pie, I've noticed that the family, the companions, are getting less and less to do. I think there's been a real uptick in the Doctor this season so far. Mm-hmm. There's been a real downtick, not in the quality of the companions, they're still good actors, but in the use of the companions. All very fair. I think there's more grit and bite to the Doctor this uh, series. I really like that. You're quite right, though. She is taking more screen time. Uh, Yaz normally suffers. Uh, however, I think in this episode, Yaz came out pretty pretty well. I think it was Ryan who suffered more this episode. Okay, well, look, we'll tease that out because uh, I've got a different view on that. Ooh, okay. I've, I've got sort of a one and a half here. As the exposition goes on and on and on and on... <laughs> I'm leading I'm, up to a snap... Yep, I'm coming more to the more to the view that Chris Chibnall should have just been a regular writer. He is not a script editor. Yeah, I've got a note here, Dave. The moment where the the Doctor describes everything about their plan while they play a montage of all these things happening. Uh, we seem to say this every episode. Does he have no other way of telling stories? It's it's getting almost to like a a parody level that it's happening so often. Yep, yeah, there was the long explanation of who this person was and what they do and lots of sort of building up you know, even that line this is going to be something really special like don't <laughs> tell me that make it special but the line i wrote down is uh the alien queen saying we can see your city your city can't see us mm. well we know she can see the city she's got a window <laughs> and all you needed was that shot of the cloaking device sort of blurring and we know the city can't see them because they're cloaked. You did not need a line of dialogue for that. Chris, use the red pen. Yeah. This, this, is, this is this, yeah. I, I think that Chris has got a problem with exposition and, and he needs to use the red pen. Yep. Do, do you know the montage bit I'm talking about, though, where she's like, we're going to get these bits and pieces and then these guys are going to go here and then I'm going to do this. And it's like, a- abs- oh, my absolutely. God. 
Absolutely. It was like an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where Geordie would turn around and say, Captain, if we tech the tech and then turn on the machine to tech some more tech, we can tech and the result. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. But at least Star Trek didn't play montages of us seeing that while it happens. No. So, look, that's a positive, a couple of negatives, and a positive I am enjoying, and we're seeing a lot of this season, particularly that sense of wonder wonder of the universe, wonder of history, mm. wonder of individuals, and that's a really nice vibe and tone to have go through this season. So, more Doctor good, less family bad, exposition bad, Chibnall needs a red pen, loving the wonder and the vibe and the tone of the series, and that was a lot of what carried me through the enjoyment of this episode. In, in, in an episode that was far from perfect, yeah. that sense of wonder did carry me through and leave me enjoying it. All right, thank you. Good night, everybody. Um- <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I've I've hogged the limelight a bit. Um, what stood out for you? Oh, Dave, this was very solid history lesson Doctor Who, if I can put it like that. This is one where we, we've said in the past it will make the kids go and grab their history textbooks or look up Wikipedia at the very least. <laughs> More likely, yes. And um, and learn about Tesla. It's um it's it's quite a story and I even had to go back and remind myself of a few things because I'm I'm familiar with his his story and his battles with Edison and Edison was a bit of a dick and uh, was portrayed such in this which was I thought very good and I think that that's just a wonderful thing that if this can inspire kids to do it just full marks for me on that and I think it will because the fella playing Nikola Tesla uh, Goran Vasinjic I thought he was just so charismatic and wonderful he almost compels you to go and look up more history on this I think yeah look that was definitely a very good positive part of the episode uh, I, I will say it's a very romantic take on Nikola Tesla. Um, <laughs> especially the stuff at the end about, which kind of made it sound like he was so awesome and he was so undone by an art, so unfair. Like, he, he made some pretty bad decisions. Like, you know, come on. Um, mm. It wasn't all just bad luck. Um, but, but no, look, he, he, he was, you know, he was a genius. And um, trying to put the whole current wars into 50 minutes was a... A tough ask, you know. Obviously, it's a little bit unsatisfying, but but you're right. It, it, in the same way as all other bits of history, the Doctor Who does. It's that morsel that's meant to get people interested, and and that's a good thing. I can't praise that part enough. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just mentioning uh, his performance there, I want to get on to the TARDIS team because it sounds like we might have a, a conflict coming up. I said the Doctor seems to have a bit more grit and bite. She's more Doctorish. I seem to be saying that a lot this series. I think that's yep. all good. Yep. I think Graham put in another fine performance. He had all the best lines again, like, hey, ACDC, when he was referring <laughs> yes. to Edison and Tesla. Yes, just some really great stuff the rodeo line this isn't our first rodeo and and ryan's like you've never been to a rodeo and he's like you're not helping uh you know all of that was just fantastic uh and then we get to yaz and ryan and i think yaz teamed up with tesla was really good i felt she had something to do there i actually liked the scenes with her and tesla i felt yaz finally had something in this episode and uh, did you see something different I agree that Yaz had a little bit more screen time, which is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a lot was done with it. She was... One of the things that I really noticed, and I made a bit of a note here, and, and I'm pulling back from this as I go, but one of the first notes I had was that Yaz actually didn't get a line that I noticed until 11 minutes in. Okay. Um, she had a couple of moments where she sort of, you know, echoed a group yes or something, but she didn't get anything there. Then they all go off to have the adventure, and she gets left babysitting Tesla. I thought, oh... 
that's maybe not the best use of her. And I was a bit worried that that would be a case, that the, the blokes would go off and have an adventure and, and Yaz would be left behind. Now, it turned out that that actually did work to her benefit in some ways. She got more screen time. She got to interact with Tesla. And like you say, it was a good thing. Mm. But was it just her feeding him lines that he could react to or giving him feed lines that he could react to? I certainly felt it was. She got to go up on the ship. And I thought, oh, wow, mm. Yaz is going up on the ship. She's going to have a whole adventure on... No, she's just going to stand there and tell Tesla how good he is and explain stuff to him. Okay. <laughs> and then the real the real downer for me was Yaz. So what's Yaz do, remind me? In this episode? No, no, in her career. Oh, well, she's a policewoman, Dave. She's a policewoman. So she's given the job of going and clearing the town. You would think that a policewoman would be very, very good at that. As it turns <laughs> out, not only is she not very good at it, but she's shown to be so bad at it that Thomas Edison gets to do it better than her. Mm. Now, I get that that's a nice use of the whole Edison using his terror of Nikola Tesla. And all. Like, I get why it's doing it, and it was a funny moment. But I just thought, in terms of Yaz's agency, you've given her nothing to do but sort of just be someone that splits the dialogue. You now give her a moment where she should be an expert at, you know, getting people off the street, command presence, knowing how to give orders, knowing how to, you know, get this stuff doing. And you don't give her that moment. I just thought, if we're judging it by screen time, yeah, okay, mm. more screen time, better. No, no, no question. If you're judging it by giving the character stuff of worth, sorry, I can't give her a pass this time. Okay, we might have to split the difference on that one. I, sure. I think just having the extra screen time is a is a step in the right direction, even if it wasn't quite what you wanted, maybe. Look, look, look absolutely, it's a step in the right direction. I don't want to have less screen time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but... Have we sunk so far on Yaz that her just being in the show is, like, the benchmark now? Well, that teases out a bigger question that I've been thinking about as I've been driving to work the past, you know, couple of weeks at least. Yeah. And th- and that's Chibnall, who... We look at this series and we say it's better than the last one, and I do sincerely believe that. But part of me is sort of seeing it as, this is a good episode for Chibnall, who... You know, so an 8 out of 10 in Chibnall Who might not actually be an 8 out of 10 in Moffat Who or RTD Who. Are you feeling that at all? Have you thought that at all? Um, no. Okay. But but, but now you've planted the thought, yes. Mm. Um, I, I mean, we've, we've said that we haven't had a 9 or a 10. No, not a classic. So I, I think we are perhaps leaving that space aside for when we do get something at that that top level. So I actually think we've been highlighting that by the fact we haven't given out 9s and 10s. Mm. Oh, I think so. But even even looking at last week's episode, which, as we've said on our monthly show, which people haven't heard yet, uh, some people have eviscerated Orphan 55, and yet we could see good in it. We could see what it was trying to do. And part of me thinks, well, that's because it's doing that as part of Chibnall Who, and as part of Chibnall, who I think Orphan 55 was okay here and there. But if that was part of an RTD series, I think I'd be saying it was like a, a Fear Her or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, and, and look, we're, we're perhaps going a little off the hop tag track, but we, this perhaps is an <laughs> episode where we're doing a bit of reflecting because we are now four in and it's maybe the place to do it. Yeah. We, we had a bit of a chat over over um, social media with some friends of ours, you know, our friends from New to Who and Flight Through Entirety, or Jodie to Terror, as they're, they're doing at the moment. And, mm. and and I made the point, and this comes back to what I said about Chris Chicken was a script editor. 
you give Orphan 55 to Chris Chibnall to script edit and you get what we got. Something with really good moments, really bad moments, a bit of a mixed bunch. I reckon if you gave that script to Russell T Davies, mm. he would turn that into something really good. Some of those moments where they're going for that real emotional gut punch, Russell T Davies would have delivered it. I think Russell T Davies would have stripped out a couple of those subplots and really got down to what the episode's about. And mm. I think he would have seeded things a lot better through and had a much more even feel. And I think that's the same with this episode tonight. There was a lot of good stuff in it. I liked the adventure of it. I liked the characters. I liked the history. I liked the vibe. I liked Niagara Falls. You know, I, I, I enjoyed this episode. Mm. But if you gave it to RTD, I think that the pace would have been a lot more even. We wouldn't have that had that bit sort of been between about the, the 10 and the 25-minute mark where, where nothing actually happened. Uh, <laughs> and you would have had a much more engaging dialogue. I think, the, I think the dialogue between Tesla and Edison, for example, would have been a lot more emotive and you wouldn't have got these long exposition sort of scenes. So yeah. do I think Chris Kimball is a very good writer with a very good vision for the series? Yes. More and more, I think his problem is his inability to red pen other people's work or even his own. Yeah, yeah, agree on that. Uh, to move back to the cast, though, I do want to also mention Thomas Edison's portrayal because that's Robert Glenister, Dave. That's Salatine from Caves of Androzani. So it was. You know, can can you pick him, though, under all the age and the makeup and probably a wig and, of course, the accent? That's that's Robert bloody Glenister there. Yeah, I, I did sort of get a sense that he was vaguely familiar, but no, I would never have picked that until he pointed it out. I did think it was mm. a very good performance. I thought that... Uh, his accent was very well done, especially when you compare it to the accents of some of the extras and minor characters, which, which were not very well done at all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I, I thought he was quite good. Of course, the Edison character was being portrayed as a dick, but the portrayal, I think, was just fantastic. Yeah. And that probably leaves, well, Dorothy Skerritt, played by Hayley McGee. She... Uh, I'm not sure if the real Dorothy Skerritt actually acted like that in real life. She was almost like a PR manager sort of him in this episode, sort of running around, sort of, you know, bigging him up and, you know, commenting on him all the time. I'm not sure that was Skerritt's actual role in real life. No, I thought that the actress who played her did a very good job with her role and, in fact, landed a couple of the better emotional moments of the episode. So, uh, was it historically accurate? No, probably not. No. Um, but, but I thought it was a good performance. Yeah, which just leaves probably the uh, the Queen of the Scythra, and I'm just going to say what probably everyone else will say in their reviews. Didn't they look a lot like the Rachnos, these Scythra? Yes. Yes. <laughs> even even with the teeth and the, the way the head would move, and I was just like, oh, this is so similar. Are they meant to be a related species? Like, these are scorpions, and Rachnos were sort of spidery. Is Are they meant to be the same thing? Or, or related, rather? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting that they were so close and you didn't even get a line from the Doctor like, oh, you're the cousins of this, or something like that, mm. uh, which I would have thought to be there. I'm sure a lot of fans will have commented on that. I also got a vibe from them very similar to the uh, aliens that Anthony Stewart had led in um, re school, re school Reunion. Oh, okay. They could fly, though, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah, but in terms of their motivation and in terms of sort of going around and collecting other bits of tech I thought that was good and also yeah. kind of a, a Borg 
kind of feel as well. Not not in the execution or the, the look, but just that kind of sense of being scavengers or parasites or have one want, want to take it to sort of scavenging around. In, in fact, I thought the look and the concept of the aliens was a real highlight of this episode. I, I liked that idea of them being really shallow and having no real tech or culture of their own, but it was a really an interesting take, and it was a concept that I was buying into, and, and halfway through the episode, I was kind of like, oh, what are these aliens doing? But but their motivations and their plot did evolve through through the story, and I, I did, again, change my notes on them and, and, and rewrite it, which makes it all a shame that the actual Scorpion Queen just felt so flat for me. If there was ever an example of that George Lucas you can write this dialogue, George, but you can't make people say it. Mm. It was here. I felt very sorry for the actress under that makeup. You think back to, and look, we're talking in our monthly episode about the season 14 Blu-ray box set that's coming out, yeah. and that's full of performances. Uh, D84, SV7, um, Zoanon, The Master, played by Peter Pratt, you know, mm. um, um, Magnus Greel, like performances that go beyond a very limiting mask makeup that yeah. sort of thing, and, and are very memorable. Sadly, this actress could not do that, and just below the makeup and the dialogue and the mask and the the voice synthesizing, I thought there was a performance that was really just lost and really, really did fall flat for me. Yeah, kind of like, look at me, I'm on children's TV, and I've got teeth, look at my teeth, and I'm going to wobble my head, and I'm, yeah, yeah, mm, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, I've only got one other main point before the sports desk. What mm. about you, Rob? i got a few. I, I want to talk about the, the setting of early 1900s New York. I thought it looked really good, so I looked it up, and apparently they were in Bulgaria for this day. They were at a studio called New Boyana. Uh, which has been used in a, a few movies, including London Has Fallen. And I thought this made it look really good. It looked really nice. And you can see where by doing less episodes per series now, they spend it on some of these overseas locations. And I think it just brings the whole production value up quite a bit. Yeah, it looked really good. It worked for me. Um, I, I've obviously been to New York and Niagara and all the rest of it, but i also been to some parts of Buffalo, New York, which still have some of the old buildings from the time of, um, uh, you know, the place where Teddy Roosevelt was sworn in as president after um, his predecessor was, uh, after McKinley was shot, and you know, I've been mm. to that building. And, and, and this is all by way of saying, so I've been to New York buildings of that period that have been maintained and restored, and this really did match that vibe and that tone, and that looked really amazingly well. I was, I was very impressed by the sets. Yeah, I've got a couple more, so I'll throw another one at you before you throw me yours. Tesla, when he's in the TARDIS, Dave, surely we were all thinking it where we had that close-up of him in the TARDIS, the blue lighting was on him, then it sort of pulled back and he's there in his, you know, mid-length coat, sort of pondering and standing there alone, and it's like, gee, he'd be an interesting sort of doctor, wouldn't he? <laughs> I was thinking that anyway. Oh, it didn't, didn't cross my mind, but no, yeah, totally get where you're coming from, yeah. Just the way they were framing him in some of those shots, it was, it was almost like he was the Doctor. It was, it was quite something. Which which I guess is the kind of tone that they were going for, and that he's very similar to the Doctor. He's a man of peace, he's a man of invention, he's a man of science. Uh, yeah, I think that, that must be a very deliberate visual reference to those, those character um, echoes. Yeah, which reminds me of that scene. I can't think of the right words, but the scene where he's talking to the doctor, he says, don't you feel this way when you're inventing? And she's like, yes. And like, there's this connection between them with the eyes. And, and she really, really appreciates this guy, I think, 
for what he's done and the and the way he thinks and so on. Anyway, what was your last comment? So my last comment is about the resolution. Okay. Now, interestingly, we are in season five of the Doctor Who show, as as this format would have it, and mm-hmm. this was a very season five ending, a very Patrick Troughton era ending to the show. These are monsters, so yes. let's blow them up. In fact, it was also very horror fang rock the way that they went and did it. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's a very unusual thing for New Who. Well, I don't think they were quite blown up, Dave. They were shot at, but the ship zips off into into space. So I think that's maybe a difference with the Trout and Era where they may have just blown them up and said, hey, we blew them up. Here, they sort of zap them and they the aliens then sort of nick off. Uh, okay, in that case, maybe it is more New Who than I realised. The, the dangers of the hot take, Dave. The dangers of the hot take, yeah. Okay, no, fair enough. Uh, what else have you got before the sports desk, Rob? Uh, last one for me. This ends with a very unquiet dead kind of ending. Uh, obviously an unquiet dead. The Doctor says, well, you know, Charles Dickens will go on to, you know, basically die in the next few months or whatever it was and, yeah. and just explain a bit more about him. Here we got the history lesson on Tesla, uh, which is something we didn't get in the second part of Spyfall when it came to, uh, obviously, Ada Lovelace and Nor Inyat Khan. They were just sort of left to go back to their own lives. The Doctor erased their memories. And we weren't even told what happened to them when they have such, you know, tragic backstories. Like, you know, Ada Lovelace dies quite young. Uh, so does Nor Khan as well. She gets shot by Nazis. Well, yeah, she, after spending time in Dachau. Yeah, you know, and we didn't get any of that in that episode. But here we go back to that sort of unquiet dead vibe and this is what this guy went on to do and blah, 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 blah. And I kind of like these endings better. I know it's a little cheesy in some ways. It's a little too, I don't know, historical of the week kind of thing. But it's for the kids and I think it does work out better, especially when you have someone like Noor Khan who you really should be letting people know a little more about rather than just, oh, yeah, she went back to, you know, live in France, you know, in an apartment, you know. They could have done so much more. I, I half agree with you. I agree that it's a, it's a warranted and a good thing and a good way to sort of give tribute to the character. It would be far, far more effective and far less grating for me if it wasn't the sixth or seventh exposition speech in the episode. Um, yeah, I think that, that, that does diminish it. But something you mentioned there, Rob, that hadn't occurred to me until you, you, you did mention it, there has been a, a lot of, I think, very valid pushback in fandom about the Doctor forcibly removing the memories of um, those two women. Yeah. Given that he didn't do it to Tesla or to Edison, does that really compound that problem? It kind of does, it, you know, because, I mean, people get really, really upset about this because it's 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 sort of physically violating someone to, yeah. to reach into their mind and take something out without their permission. Uh, so it is problematic. And then, yeah, to compound that by not doing it to these two, uh, why? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's inconsistent for sure. Uh, it is, it is. So, look, there are, there are faults with this episode, but, Rob, I've said I've enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it, Dave. I did, actually. All right, well, on that positive note, let's go to the sports desk. Okay. Welcome back to the Sports Desk for our Player of the Week, our Foul of the Week, and our Player of the Week. Let's kick it all off with, Rob, your Play of the Week. 
Dave, my play of the week, something I mentioned earlier, using that Bulgarian studio to stand in for early 1900s New York. It looked really amazing. And as I said, I think you can see we're dropping a few episodes as, as thrown more money into the kitty. And it just makes Doctor Who location filming look really, really good. You know, we've been in South Africa. We've been in other places uh, around the world. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, no, that's very, very positive. I'm going to give it to a visual moment that really stood out for me because I, th- I think there was, there was nothing else that really stood out as being perfect. Uh, but the moment when the scorpions arrive in New York and start attacking, that I thought was visually very good. It did the job of upping the stakes, upping the tempo really well. But in particular, there's one moment where they're backing away from the scorpions and another just comes into the shot from above. Mm. Where, you, where you don't expect it. that was a really creepy moment that really made me, even just sitting here watching it on my MacBook um, and, you know, with half an eye sort of taking notes, was like, ooh, okay, that's a bit creepy. <laughs> so that, that really landed for me. I thought that was a really nice, just tiny little moment. Okay. How about your foul of the week? My foul of the week is also related to the aliens and i've got to give it to the queen scorpions performance uh i'm, I'm really sorry I'll, i know that this is an actress who was in the sarah jane adventures i'm uh, not that i would have recognized her but but i've seen that on on, on social media I, oh, yeah. I, I i get that but but sorry somewhere beneath the dialogue and the mask and the makeup that performance was lost it, it, it became stilted i thought the voice modulation didn't help her either and it was sorry it was a really bad performance that shouldn't have been the case from a, a lead villain like this. And as I say, compare it to some of those classic season 14 actors behind mask performances that we all eulogise and memor- mm. you know, memorise, I thought it was very poor, I'm sorry. Yeah, I had something similar before I scratched it out, and that was the Scythra, uh, well, the Queen at least, looking and acting so much like the Ragnos. But then I scratched that out and I thought of something a lot more basic. I think this was who by numbers you know the setup was very interesting in this episode and i think the pacing was actually quite good we were only 15 or 20 minutes in and i thought gosh we've covered so much ground this is really really good but it all comes down to a really basic sort of resolution in the end and i thought oh yeah that's very you know i could see where that was coming a mile off there was sort of no real surprise you know the inventor's got together and they invented something and it zapped the spaceship and the spaceship flew away. You know, it's, yeah, okay. (laughs) I know it's for kids, but you can be a bit more challenging, surely. Look, you're not wrong. Uh, I'll be very interested to see how fandom and how people that we listen to and read, read the opinions of react to that. Do they embrace it being a nice piece of very traditional Doctor Who? Because I think I kind of did. Or do Mm. they say, sorry, the show's come a long way in the last 50 something years and it can be better. I'll be interested to hear that. Mm-hmm. Rob, your player of the week. Dave, my MVP is Goran Vizinjic. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right as Tesla. Just very charismatic, very interesting. I think he's one of the best guest actors we've had on the show in quite a long time. Full stop. Fair enough. I'm going to be very conventional and I'm giving it to Jodie Whittaker. Excellent. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, she really is going up and up in my view over the course of this season i think she's getting more screen time she's being better written and she's getting those media chunky moments but she's also getting moments to sort of emote and and speak about vision and wonder without it seeming lightweight uh i've i I really enjoyed jody in this episode um i'm so yeah I'm, i'm really pleased about that as well and she's my player of the week so rob it's time to score nicola tesla's night of terror what's your score out of 10 Dave, uh, to summarise this, it was a safe story. I'm going to say that up front. It could have been much more. 
It's still a win, though, but with a bit more risk, I think it could have been so much better. It's absolutely better than last week. It's by no means a classic. You're wondering where I'm going with this score, aren't you? We're still on the lookout for a classic in Jody's era, I think, uh, at all. Uh, so it still hasn't happened. Uh, this wasn't as good as the Spyfall installments either, so I find myself gravitating to about 7 out of 10. Snap. Really? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I enjoyed the episode. It's it's not a classic, but it's certainly not a clunker. Uh, I don't think it was quite as exciting as Spyfall Part 1. I think it was a more coherent and enjoyable episode than Orphan 55, so therefore it sits between them at a 7. Yeah, look, I, if I was feeling particularly mean, I could have even had it sitting at 6, but I thought, no, that's what I gave Orphan 55, and this was certainly better than that. Yeah, I, I think, I think. well, obviously I agree with you. I gave you the same score. <laughs> Fair enough. So we're going to be back in a week's time with Fugitive from the Jadoon. That's right. And uh, that looks like it could be another one for the kids, maybe. Some some big rhinoceroses running around uh, uh, wherever they're running around. Gloucester, I think, they filmed that. Um, well, but, but we'll let's, not, let's not forget, Rob. Mm-hmm. For, for us, the Jadoon coming back is another new, new Who monster coming back. It's interesting, but I don't think it's exciting. There's a whole generation of Doctor Who fans out there for whom the Jadoon coming back would be like us getting the Ice Warriors back or the Silurians back or the Sontarans back. So I, I think this could be a really big episode for a whole generation of fans and I hope that they get what they're expecting and I hope we enjoy it as well. Well, we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. But until then, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we'll speak next week. And in fact, we will speak on Sunday for our January episode of the Doctor Who Show. We'll speak again many times. We will indeed. See you then. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.